0: Gentlemen, good morning, shall we gather in, grab your tea, coffee, croissant, come on in, let's fill up from the front, we want Matt speaking to us this morning to feel warmly welcome, if you don't recognize someone just sit down, we're very friendly here at Burning Man, we like to get to know each other, so good morning gents and uh, welcome to Burning Man, Uh, this is part two of our new term. in a series looking at Old Testament men of God. And if you weren't with us two weeks ago, uh, you missed Jonathan Fletcher looking at uh, the lesser-known prophet Micaiah Ben Imla, And uh, that really was something. So uh, I can't recommend highly enough uh, getting on the blog site, the Burning Man blog site, and listening to that again. Um, but we are here this morning gathered with... Uh, Matt Fuller, the Reverend Matt Fuller who is the vicar of Christchurch Mayfair. We're thrilled to have you with us Matt. Matt's not been at Burning Man before so uh, this is his debut so please do make him feel warmly welcome. Uh, Matt used to be a teacher before getting ordained. He's been a vicar at Christchurch Mayfair for the last 10 years uh, so he knows what it is to speak to men in a busy city, the city of London. Uh, So we're thrilled to have him with us this morning. He is coming to talk to us about Jacob and Jacob wrestling with God but before he does I'd like to welcome up Alexander who's going to bring our reading and then Matt's going to come and speak to us but just as Alexander comes up why don't I pray for us uh, this morning. Father we thank you Lord that we get to gather freely to hear from your word this morning in this great city and we pray that by your spirit you would do a work among us and a work in our hearts Lord that doesn't leave us the same. Send us out of here different men, changed men, more willing, more ready to live for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: All right, good morning. If you turn to page 35 in your Bibles in the chairs, we're looking at Genesis chapter 32. Page 35. So Jacob prepares to meet Esau. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my master, Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, manservants and maidservants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the land of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift um, for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the the lead when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet them. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, and he himself spent the night in the camp. Jacob wrestles with God. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of uh, Jabbok. And after he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could no- not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and you... um, And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon.
2: Brilliant. Thanks a lot for reading. I've been odd if you think, I didn't get up this morning to uh, to hear about a lot of sheep and bulls. Actually, it's the second half we spend most of our time in. God appears as a man and he wrestles. That's quite a thing, isn't it? God comes down as a man and wrestles. Now, for us, wrestling is completely out of fashion, I think. Uh, Apparently, they've uh, dropped it from the Olympics. Uh, Greco, Roman, and the other form I can never quite remember of uh, wrestling have gone. And it seems a long time since... um, at uh, the 1970s heyday of wrestling, do you remember Big Daddy in Giant Haystacks, when apparently 16 million would watch it on TV on a Saturday afternoon? It's almost a quarter of the population, I don't, not many of you remember it, do you? But a quarter of the population would tune in to watch this spandex pantomime of uh, big, overweight, overage men who there's no way they were fit enough to wrestle would get together and sort of bounce off one another's bellies uh, in the ring, and uh, while the grannies watched on with their handbags cheering, some of you remember it, but a uh, quarter of the population, extraordinary thing. But uh, not so popular today, wrestling, but biblically, it's a good thing to do. We'll see uh, in this passage, it once says, Jacob wrestles for blessing. It's not that common a phrase, but in Colossians 4, Paul will tell the Colossians that uh, Epaphroditus wrestles in prayer for them. That's a good thing to do. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, Christians are told they're to wrestle against the temptation of evil, put on the armor of God. And uh, so in on one level, I would like, I'd love to encourage you this morning to, uh, to don your spiritual spandex, get into a leotard. And uh, although some of you in Lycra like already, but uh, to wrestle in the Christian life. And I think that's often how this passage is taken. We need to wrestle with God until we get what we desire from him, You can choose the style, freestyle Greco-Roman, it's up to you. But in this passage, actually, that isn't really quite what's going on, because it's God who takes the initiative. God comes down, takes the initiative, he wrestles with Jacob, he cripples Jacob, and then finally he blesses him. There's a very strange pattern. God takes the initiative, he cripples him, and only finally... Does he bless him? It's a vivid account of the Lord humbling this man, Jacob, deliberately until Jacob is brought to the point where he says, I need you. Now, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the flow of Genesis. Obviously, Genesis 1 to 11, uh, it's disaster, sin enters the world, and by chapter 11, uh, everything's out of control, Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is given a promise, God will renew the world through Abraham. And the rest of the book of uh, Genesis is really about his descendants. God says, I'll make you into a great people. And Genesis is about the descendants, and Exodus is about escape, and then you enter the land, etc. But Genesis is about the descendants. And so you've got the, the, the Abraham cycle, 12 to 25. He can't have a kid. 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 Oh, he's had a son. Now kill him. Uh, oops. Uh, this, the, the Jacob cycle, 25 to 35, is all about God makes promises, and they'll stay true even if the people are, ha- are awful. So, the whole cycle of Jacob, so you know, it's Abraham's cycle, uh, the, the Jacob cycle, 25 to 35, and then the Joseph cycle, uh, 37 to the end. But Jacob, God has made promises, and he makes them very clearly in chapter 25, reiterates them. But Jacob and his family are awful. There are no heroes in this story, in these 11 chapters. Everyone fights. It's like a really intense, bad episode of EastEnders when everyone fights with everyone. You've got the, the, the wives, you know, Rachel and Leah. You cow, no, you can't. You know, they're at one another's throats all the time. Jacob just deceives and deceives. He lies to his dad. He lies to his brother. He lies to his uncle. His uncle lies to him. There are no heroes in this cycle. The whole point of the Jacob narrative is God makes promises and he'll keep them despite his people being useless. That's the point of it. And uh, here is an intense moment in that story. Just uh, We're really in the second half, but let me just explain uh, what's going on so we understand it rightly. In chapter 32, the first 20 or 21 verses or so, Jacob is very fearful because he's going to meet his brother. It's the whole point of this chapter. It's preparing Jacob to meet Esau. Jacob's name means deceiver, and he's he's been doing just that. So chapter 27, he had lied and he cheated his brother out of their birthright, their inheritance. That's not just the silver and Auntie Mabel's painting, and, you know, that's the blessing of God he's been cheated out of. And the last time we see Jacob and Esau together, Esau has said, I'm going to kill him. I hate him, I will kill him. And Jacob's been gone for 20 years, and now he's going back into the promised land, knowing that the last time he saw his brother, I will kill you. So he's a little bit nervous about this. And Esau, big, strong, hunting man, Jacob, slightly dweeby, nerdy character. Uh, It's not quite true, but um, uh, there's that sense to it. So verse 7 of chapter 32 reveals what's going on. Jacob is in great fear and distress. That's the presenting issue. And uh, whatever you're going on to do today, there are periods of that in life. You may be going to the office and fearful of a meeting you have today with a client, a boss, an employee, I don't know. Nervous about what the day brings, nervous about uh, the company, the role, the position at work. Jacob is full of anxiety. That's the presenting issue for him. He's anxious. He's fearful. From his perspective... That's what's going on. When he prays, he's praying, Lord, I'm really stressed about this. Can you please sort this out? Esau's going to kill me. Please, please, please. Can you sort out my work? Can you sort out my family? Those that he, they, they, he's got his own issues, and he prays about his issues. Uh, he's got various plans, so you get a plan mark one, which is verses three to five. Um, he'll be very sycophantic. Uh, send this message to my master Esau, my brother. I'm, I'm going to give him lots of cash and stuff. Verse six, messengers come back uh, to Jacob from brother Esau. We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Uh, what are they wearing? Party hats or swords? Uh... So he's got other plans for them. Um, So plan Mark 2, verse 7, okay, I'll split all my flocks and herds, and so if some of them are killed, at least some of them will survive. Finally, verse 9, he prays. Now, people divide on this, but I think it's a good prayer. Verse 9, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me. He's appealing to God's promises and character. It's the first time. We see Jacob pray. It's the longest prayer in the book of Genesis. I think it's a good prayer. He's always been a charlatan. One who'll take the dubious business deal. One who's always self-reliant. And there's just emerging signs. There's embers here that actually he's going to choose to pray rather than just relying upon his own brain power and initiative. I think it's an encouraging prayer. Uh, You get his third sort of plan alongside that. Um, Okay, let's just send loads and loads of animals to Esau. Perhaps they'll calm him down, send them in groups. Verse 20 reveals his thinking. Uh, Tell my brother uh, Esau, your servant Jacob is coming, for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Okay. So there's the backdrop. Jacob has been out of the promised land for 20 years. It's a big deal he's going back in. But the first person he's going to meet is his brother who has sworn to kill him. He's stressed, he's anxious, he's fearful at this turning point in his life. He prays, Lord, please let this go smoothly. Please will Esau receive me rightly and will we we be happy and reconciled together? I mean, it's nothing wrong with that prayer, is it? It's a good prayer. What does God do? God comes down and beats him up. That's what you need when you're stressed, isn't it? When you're stressed and anxious about anxious about how things are going, about a family issue, about work, what you really want is God come down and beat you up. Why does He do that? Let me just uh, sort of cut it up these three ways. Okay, the Lord wrestled with Jacob. Let's look at the story. Then secondly, say the Lord wrestles with us. What does that mean for you and me? And then thirdly, briefly, Jesus wrestled for us. So that's how we we'll cut it. The Lord wrestled with Jacob. The Lord wrestles with us. Jesus wrestled for us. Okay, let's have a look at this narrative then. Verse 22. Uh, That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, two maidservants, 11 sons. He's been doing well on the family front. Crossed the ford of Jabuk. He's back now in the promised land. This is like Caesar crossing the Rubicon. He's entered Roman territory. It's a declaration of war. He's gone back into Esau's land. This is it. He's crossed the line now. And he's left alone. He sent all the family on ahead of him, so it's just him. And strangely then, verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak, as you do, a stranger in a new land. Now, the text here is deliberately unclear. We're meant to wonder at this point, along with Jacob, Who is this man? Now, if you know the story, you know who he's going to be. Verse 28 makes it very clear. A little later on, it's God. But at this point in the story, a man comes and wrestles with Jacob. It is, I guess you'd have to say technically, a theophany, a pre-incarnation appearance of God in a temporary form. God does it lots of times, of course, in the Old Testament. He appears in visible form, sometimes as a human, sometimes as a donkey, sometimes as a bush. He appears and speaks as as an angel. Uh, And you'd have to say these are uh, foreshadowings, I guess, or anticipations in the birth of Christ. These are temporary. They're non-essential. But they're just a foreshadowing when Jesus comes and God unites himself permanently, essentially, to human nature. But let's look at this pattern then. The Lord takes the initiative. He cripples And then he blesses. Okay, I just want you to see that pattern. So the Lord takes the initiative. So verse 24, the man comes to him. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, of course, the odd thing in verse 25 is God can't overpower Jacob. Are we really? Clearly, God limits himself here in order to make his point. It's not really a fair fight. Would you like to wrestle against the Lord who created this world? You probably wouldn't. He would probably win. It's not a fair fight. God limits himself, but he's taken the initiative. What does he do? He cripples Jacob. Verse 25. When the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, it's a technical Hebrew word, that, for touched, meaning touched. As in, there's nothing hidden there. It's not he ripped it or he smote it or he destroyed it. It is touched, the sort of word for a, a gentle tap, now, I don't know much about wrestling. When I think back to the 1970s in giant haystacks, there are, I was trying to remember the moves I could remember. I could remember just about the washing line, which because they still use that, don't they, essentially, in rugby sometimes. You just put a line out and, and take someone down. The pile driver, I just about remember. I think as you put someone's head between your legs and then and jump on it. Uh, what else? Can I, the surfboard, you sort of bend someone's back. I, I remember, vaguely remember these as, as wrestling moves. I don't remember a wrestling move called a little gentle touch it's not a wrestling move for hours i've been wrestling and then god's like, okay i've made my point because if you lose your hip you know that's the point you pivot that's the point of strength If you can't walk without a hip you can't do anything much without a hip jake has been wrestling for hours and then it's just and he's done just a little just a little touch on the side of his hip and at this point Jacob realizes "Uh uh-oh hold on (laughs) this is not a man is it it's certainly not an ordinary man for Jacob no more scheming no more deception all his strength useless he's now a cripple he's got no legs no movement can't even run away But Jacob is commended because he does the one thing that he can do. The only thing that he can do at this point, he does, which is he holds on. So verse 26, you get a bit of bohemian rhapsody. Let me go. I will not let you go. Let me go. I will not let you go. This sort of thing goes back and forth for a little bit. Uh, And Jacob just holds on to him. Uh, The man says, verse 27, okay, what's your name? Jacob, he says. Yes, that's right. Because Jacob means deceiver. That has been your name. Because you've been a charlatan. You've been a shyster for all your life, haven't you, Jacob? But I'm going to give you a new name, Israel. Because you've struggled with God and you've overcome. Verse 29, Jacob says, okay, what's your name? You don't need to ask my name. Why do you ask mine? You don't need to ask. You know who I am, Jacob. And so the Lord blesses him. Verse 29, he blessed him there. The Lord has taken the initiative. He cripples Jacob, brings him to a point of absolute weakness. And then finally, he blesses him. And so God prevents Jacob from entering the promised land, from receiving his inheritance, he prevents Jacob receiving what God intends for him until he's been completely humbled. Now, who won this fight? Well, God did, I guess you'd say, uh, and yet at the same time, verse twenty-eight we're told Jacob did. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Bizarre, isn't it? And yet, in the prophet Hosea, Hosea 12 makes the same point. As a man, Jacob struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his grace. Hosea 12, verse 3. Very striking commentary, that. Again, Jacob has gone from a stubborn, competitive, self-reliant man to one whose virtue is highlighted as a dogged perseverance, a dogged dependence upon the Lord. It's God's been teaching him. It's as if the Lord has sort of wrestled with Jacob uh, with his left hand and yet all the time he's been helping him with his right hand. He needed to calm him down. You know, this we had a baby in the house again uh, uh, last year. And because children, young babies, they get hysterical, don't they, at various points. And um, for no good reason, you just don't, you haven't got a clue what's going on half the time, have you? So so for no good reason, a baby is hysterical. And so sometimes you just pull them in. You just hold them. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually, you know, they all sort of calm down and they're happy again. But there's that element to this here. God has said, shut up, Jacob. I just need to reduce you, humble you, until you're the man I need you to be. And so Jacob limps away, verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Penile and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob limps away, but he's never the same. He's limping but trusting. And that's a much better man for Jacob to be but there's a scar that never leaves him. It's so he has a bad night, a bad week, a bad year. And then, oh, well, that's all gone. He's never the same again. He's limping for the rest of his life. But he's trusting. And that's a better place to be than independent. But fully having your strength. Did you see in this narrative, Jacob thought, for Jacob... The greatest issue, the presenting thing, the thing he's stressed about, the thing he's lying awake at night about, the thing he's praying about is his brother. That's what's got Jacob upset. But God comes along and says, look, your greatest need is not the problem with Esau. The greatest need you have is to be humbled. Now, I don't suppose before that event, Jacob liked that or wanted that. And I suppose that's true for most of us here. We pray about all sorts of things, we get anxious, we get stressed about all sorts of things. I'm not sure our gut instinct is to say, Well, Lord, just come along and humble me. Why don't you cripple me in order that I may know your blessing? It's quite a strong meat, isn't it? The Lord wrestled with Jacob. What does that mean then? Secondly, that the Lord wrestles with us. of course, in one sense, you could say that this is just the pattern of salvation. This is how anyone becomes a Christian. Uh, God takes the initiative. Amazing grace uh, was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Yeah, God takes the initiative. I don't know where you were taught the gospel in your family or as an adult, but the Lord has taken the initiative so that someone brings you the message of Jesus Christ. He comes to you. He takes the initiative. God cripples us. That is, we're brought to the point of weakness where we say, okay, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I can't do it by my own works. I need Jesus to do it for me. I admit that. I'm at a point of weakness now. And God blesses us with forgiveness. It's just the story of salvation. I need you, Lord, to save me. I can't do it. I can't get to heaven by my own labors. The Lord takes the initiative. The Lord cripples us. We're brought to the point of weakness. And then the Lord blesses us with forgiveness. That's how anyone becomes a Christian. And yet it is also how he continues to deal with his people. Question. Why did God go through this rigmarole with Jacob? This let's pretend wrestling match to in a, a, a one-second crippling. Why go through all that? Why? Why doesn't God just come down and come down as a man and say, "Jacob, here you are. It's me. Let's go for a beer. Let's talk about your life. It's not going so well, is it? Uh, you know, there are one or two things you need to change. Come on, Jacob, buck it up and uh, let's go forward. He could do that. He could communicate the same truths, but he chooses to do it this way. Why make? Jacob wrestled for hours before showing that he could have beaten him in a second. I guess it's pretty unforgettable in Jacob's life. but I take it it's recorded for us in such a vivid way, such a strange story, so that we get sometimes the Lord works these ways. You know, like a man wrestling with his son. You know, a daddy may uh, accommodate to a toddler's level, uh, a three-year-old, and pretend to wrestle. Oh, you know, they sort of pretend, and oh, you've got me, oh, you've got me. But any time he wants, the bloke can roll his whatever it is, thirteen, fourteen stone onto his three-year-old. Yeah. At any point, of course, he, he can do that. It's a bit tragic if he does that. Um, but it's just one sense. It's just a game that you're. The Lord wants to drive this vivid truth into Jacob and to us. The Lord will act at times to humble us so that we recognize our need of him. And those periods of life that leave us limping but trusting, they are for our good. There are times when he will cripple us so that we cry out, I need you. Oh, I've said it before, but now I know it. I can't do this. I need you. you know, of course, there's a strong truth in a Western world where we're so self-centered. It is easy to slip into the mindset of, I'll only, well, I'll praise the Lord if he gives me what I want. I uh, uh, About three weeks ago, just had lunch with a chap uh, who... Um, Uh, He'd lost his job, good job, well-paid job, you know, very pleasant, um, nice six-figure job in many ways, happy job for him. Uh, uh, They were pregnant again, and uh, the child had been diagnosed as Downs, and he came in and uh, we sat down, he said, I don't understand why God's doing this. I pray every day, I tithe, I give to church, why would he do this to me? You well, wrong. God is not a slot machine. <laughs> it's not that you put these things in, and automatically, life goes smoothly. He's not primarily concerned with making your life the flattest motorway it can possibly be with no potholes. He's concerned for humbling you. So he's concerned with your godliness. He's concerned with your character. Often the Lord will cripple those he loves in order that they might know greater blessing. We wouldn't choose it that way, but we're not all wise (laughs) and he is. And he'll do that to make you the person that your loving Heavenly Father wants you to be. For your good, for his glory. You know that, oh, is it a poem? I'm not sure what it is. You know that sort of rhyme. I asked the Lord for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to learn to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me brain and brawn to work. I asked for courage. God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for love. God gave me people to help. I asked for favors. God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted, I received everything I needed. And my prayer has been answered. Now, that is true. And if you go through, I mean, the, Jacob's experience is an odd one, isn't it? It's an incredibly intense night of wrestling with the Lord. And none of us are going to have that sort of experience. Well, if you do, you let me know. i would be interesting. You, know, you wrestle with God. Great. How would that go? Um, normally, the periods of intense bewilderment, pain, exhaustion, suffering, are that we can deal with a night. Men are quite good in a crisis, a one-night crisis. So that's, that's quite good for blokes. But something which is prolonged, goes on for weeks, months. It's a bit harder, isn't it? And you do need to know in those periods when life goes wrong, suffering you can call it simply, but when life goes wrong, when you're bewildered by what, by what God is doing, Actually, they are unbearable unless you know that God is with you and God is for you. And that he may cripple you, but it is for your good. So that he can bless you. Look for what it's worth. Last year, we lost in our family, we lost a little girl at 14 months. And the last six weeks that uh, we knew she was with us, it was a bit like a slow motion car crash, really. We knew what was going to happen. We knew it would be horrible. And it just felt incredibly cruel actually, at times. I just thought this feels cruel, knowing what's going to happen in whatever it is, six, seven weeks' time. And you've just got to know that the Lord is with you and for you. You've got to know that. But question, you may ask, question. uh, I am a bit bewildered by what's going on uh, at the moment. I don't really like this concept of God wounding me in order to to, to bless me, to grow my character. Not am not sure that's a deal I want to make. How do I know for certain that God is doing this for my good? Last thing, briefly. Jesus wrestled for us. That's how you know. Jesus wrestled for us. Jesus wrestled with God for us. He wrestled in the garden, didn't he? In the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, if this is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. He's sort of wrestling. What, what, I don't want to do this. I need to do this. He wrestles on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why this way? And certainly for myself, in the events of last year, I, I realized like never before how wonderful it is, how very wonderful it is at times to have a Savior who on the cross says, Why? Isn't that extraordinary? When you're bewildered by what's going on in your life and think, God, what is this? Okay, I could have dealt with that, but that plus that, oh, you're je- that plus that plus that, oh, are you serious? Isn't it wonderful that you have a Savior upon the cross says, why? Why have you forsaken me? I mean, he knows, sort of, cognitively, that Jesus has, has missed something, but in the experience of the moment, Why? And yet he also says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Of course, not that Jesus was crippled upon the cross, but the full wrath of God against all the sins of all his people fell upon him. And Jesus held on and he wouldn't let go until he'd won the blessing. Not for him, but for you. And for me. So actually, in the wrestlings of life, in the uncertainties, the bewilderments, the what on earth, in the stress, the anxieties. Lord, this isn't going high. I prayed about this. Lord, we prayed about this for weeks and it still doesn't seem to be getting any better. Why? You just have to cling to Jesus. You have to. And you see in him that God is for you and he's with you. No matter what it feels like at that moment in time. Well, let me read this. It's a bit twee in one sense. But let me read it to you. Uh, we, uh, our nine-year-old son at the time was, uh, was very unhappy, very distressed um, with uh, this little girl, Yasmin, uh, going. And, you know, it's quite hard for a nine-year-old to process that. Uh, you know, I've prayed for a year for her to stay, and, and yet she's, it's not happening. Okay. Here's a letter that her godfather. So excuse me. Here's a letter that uh, my son's godfather wrote him. He uh, doesn't write many letters. He's an army colonel. It doesn't do mushy. Um, it's a bit twee, but uh, run with it. Dearest Nathan, hello again. Another letter from us. Daddy's told us the sad news about Yasmin, and I thought I'd write to you again in case you're feeling sad or anxious. Do you know that grown-ups have some very funny ways of dealing with sadness? Quite often they do things like drink too much alcohol. Or sometimes they eat loads and loads of chocolate. It tastes amazing, but the feeling doesn't last very long, and then they just get fat. We are so, 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 so blessed to know that Jesus is a hope we can rely on. Not just for 10 minutes, 10 days, or 10 weeks, but forever He loves us so very much and wants to carry our burdens whenever and for however however long we need. So, Nathan, I've enclosed a packet of Rolos. And whenever you have a sad moment, perhaps you can ask mum or dad and they'll let you have one. Not like the funny grown-ups who think that eating chocolate will take away the sadness, but to help you to trust Jesus with all your feelings, good and sad. Have a chocolate and keep returning to him. Keep returning to him, Nathan. We pray that you will, and we pray for you all. That's very simple, isn't it? Trying to communicate something to a, to a nine-year-old boy. And yet, actually, it's very profound. He's also got a degree in psychology, so he's sort of, you know, revealing in truth, and you can tell your mum and dad when you're feeling sad, and actually he's very clever uh, on that sort of thing. But um, it's just very profound. You just you just got to keep going back to Jesus. I've prayed for a year and nothing's happened. Why should I bother praying to God again? Hey, look, Jesus prayed on the cross and his prayer wasn't answered. For your good. You just keep going back there. So what do you do with Jacob? It's not the story. One said, you know, what do you do? I mean, much nicer, wouldn't it be, if the story of Jacob was, here's Jacob. He wrestled with God. He wanted something. He got it. Huzzah! Let's be like Jacob and wrestle, and then we can get what we want. It's just not that story. Jacob's, oh, I'm stuffed, I'm nervous, I'm anxious. God says, you're feeling nervous? Try wrestling with me, and I'll cripple you. So that you're dependent on me. So that you lean on me in a way you've never done before. For your good. So that you're blessed. That is good for the rest of your life. We might not choose it this way, but happily, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are far higher than ours. He's far wiser, far more loving than you and I would be. God takes the initiative. He cripples, but only, only in order that He might bless further. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we read this story and think, really, did it have to be that way? And um, when we think that this is sometimes how you relate to us in the Christian life, that you allow us to wrestle with you, that we don't get what we desire. Uh, we have, we're anxious about something and you're just using it to, to teach us and trade us. And we think, really, is that how you work? But Father, thank you that it is. That in our flapping and our fear, You can use them for our good. And there may be periods where we're utterly bewildered by what you're doing, but we can trust you. You are good. And even in the times when we wrestle and wondering what's going on, even at the periods when we're crippled, we can know that you're using that for our good to bless us. Because the Lord Jesus went through the same path of wrestling, of pain, of bewilderment of abandonment in order to achieve the greatest of good. So, Father, would we trust you? Would we trust you in the uncertainty and the bewilderments of life? Would we trust you for our good and for your name's sake? Amen.
0: Matt, thank you so much um, for that message this morning. Um, profound and moving. Uh, and I'm sure touches all of us and speaks to us in different ways, gents, and I suppose for the last 10-12 minutes that we have, um, you know, I think as men it's often hard to be vulnerable with one another, and I think one thing in this story is we see a vulnerability from Jacob towards the Lord in his prayer, and I think the more vulnerable we can be with each other even now, uh, the more the Lord will bless us, come and speak to us, each one of us will have different things where we feel the Lord is moving, perhaps touching our hip. Um, if you feel up to sharing that in your group now, even just briefly, let's share with one another what's going on. Let's be open, vulnerable, and then let's uh, pray to this God who who wounds but also blesses. Should we go for that? And then we'll close in 10 minutes. If you're finishing your... Prayers, please do continue to finish. Um, just to say that we are back in two weeks' time. We have Graham Tomlin, the Reverend Dr. Graham Tomlin, the principal of St. Melitus College. Uh, he'll be speaking to us about the life of Moses. And I don't know about you, but uh, I am very excited about this series on the back of Jonathan Fletcher two weeks ago. Matt, today it started in such a strong way. So. Um, be blessed, guys. Have a great couple of weeks. We're back here in two weeks' time. On your way out, there's a, a little donations box at Burning Man. We encourage um, a suggested donation of £5 per session, or you can pay up front £30 for the term. just allows us to cover costs and to uh, give a blessing to our speakers. So great to see you here this morning, gents. Finish your prayers and coffee, and see you soon.